How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 56. We're back, Zeke. And we're back. Oh, my God. How's it? How are you doing, buddy? I feel great. This is weird. So for those who don't know, we haven't recorded an episode together in about seven weeks. That's crazy. Nearly two months. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. But we did always give you a weekly show, no matter what. Our schedule remained the same as always. We gave you some bangers. Exactly. You did pretty well there, like keeping it on the like the right time. Thank you. Yeah, because you set it up to to auto schedule, but it wasn't wasn't registering for some reason. Yeah. So I made sure every like eight nine ish, I would activate it. I'll get. We had an issue with the podcast last week. Like it went on Spotify, then it went down for like thirty minutes, and it was and the thumbnail wasn't showing. It was really weird. But it, but you still got it on time. It, it was perfect and on time. I'm I'm not gonna lie because you got you're a day ahead technically from yes, where I was. Yes. Um. It was it was a little difficult for me to keep track. Where were you, Zeke? I was in Canada, um, mostly, and then a little bit in the US. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. It was cold. It was really cold. Like <laughs> it was really hot over here. Don't one worry. day it was like <laughs> negative fifty degrees. Holy shit! Like I've never felt that cold before. Damn. Like there were people who lived there who were like. I've never felt this this cold before. Yeah. It was it was unreal. So you got like a good eighty five to ninety degrees lower than what I was dealing with. Yeah, on side. which That's is a bit, it. Literally was the polar opposite. That's like almost life and death. Right yeah. There. Oh, both ends of the spectrum of <laughs> yeah, life and yeah, death. Yeah. But I'm okay. I'm back, and we're ready to do some podcasts. We got a big week. This is a big one. I was kind of terrified because there's so much to talk about, and um, even though this episode goes live on Oscar Day. We're recording a little bit earlier than that purposely to give you the our Oscar. Before, to the be night before, to give you our Oscar predictions and stuff. Because, we, Zeke, we haven't had a chance to talk about any of this. No. There but, is so much news that's come through. Which is good, I think. I, we were originally going to do this on Oscar Day and just talk about the results, but I actually like the idea of putting our predictions up just before they come out. Mm. And then next week, we'll, we'll reconvene and discuss how many we got right. We are actually going to keep score on Yes, our we got our uh, Rotten Tomatoes. 2020 Oscar ballot. You can print those out on their website. There is uh, 24 categories, as always, and 124 different nominations. Okay, that was good. I was counting the oh, really? categories, but you just said it, so... I had it written so down. Well, be... the trick is there's 23 categories with five nominations, and then, of course, the big one, Best Picture. This year is nine. So, so it's yeah. going to be score out of 24. Yeah, um, exactly. And we'll be... Uh, Duking it out, I think Jake is probably the hot favourite, seeing as how many of these have you covered? Uh, so, I've actually put in a big effort the last few weeks to watch as yep. many of these as I can. Out of the 43 films that have been nominated, I believe I've seen... No, sorry, 53 nominated films. I've seen about 41 of these. This includes all the, the short docos, the animated shorts, uh, the feature docos, uh, the international films, everything, as much as I could. I missed out on several. There's a few short films I didn't catch. Uh, things like Frozen 2 and uh, Corpus Christi, uh, The Cave, which is a documentary feature. I didn't catch any of those, but I've caught just about everything. And I've also been keeping on top of like the, a lot of the variety reports. The other award shows, like the Globes and the SAGs and the BAFTAs and all that, just kind of keep a track of how they go and if they predict the Oscars. So mm. I've done my research, Zeke, so hopefully I get a decent score out of this. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. I'm just going to go with my uh, gut on a lot of them. Okay. Um, and also the discussion points you've brought up. Uh, for There sure. are some categories I haven't watched anything, but the major categories I've covered most but one film, which I will talk about a little yes, bit later. Yes, there's one big film in there that um, we will get to. Don't but worry. that's okay because I feel like that film has been talked about a lot, like yeah. uh, to the point where it almost feels like 
a bit of a meme in a, I don't know, okay, not okay. in a negative way, but in the sense that, um, okay, I might as well just say it. it's parasites. The big one I've missed. See, cause I've um, seen parasite but, yet. You know, I feel like every single person, this comes up, I've brought this up before. Um, and I like how, um, you know, Bong Joon-ho has hmm. talked about that one meter barrier speech that he gave. Yeah. At the, the one inch tall subtitles. One. Yeah. For um, winning best international, the Globes. Like that also brought up the fact that I feel like the only foreign film anyone watched this year, like in the general mainstream, right. was Parasite. It definitely is like the Roma of this year. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it is better than Roma. It's a sleeker, cleaner, much sharper film than Roma, and I think that would be to its benefit. But, but I, I think like even a lot of the people that we know in our film community, the only foreign film they've watched this year is Parasite, right, and they right. all say it's the best film of the year. But they really haven't had the full palette. Well, but it's interesting. If you said it was your favourite film of the year, I'd believe you, because I know right. how many films it you've It is my second favourite film of 2019. Okay. And so. I will talk a bit about my number one in a couple of minutes, but mm-hmm. um, it is it is definitely worth... I'm really curious how you... Because you, you're on the other end of the hype. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, in November, when I first caught it, there was a lot of hype. But I've seen it a few times now. I've actually seen the black and white version that they've got a limited run at Luna at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I own it on Blu-ray now because it only just came out and it really is a phenomenal film and just the amount of detail every time I rewatch it and we'll talk a bit about it later but uh, it is worth pointing out that's the big one you haven't seen yet. Yep. I can give you contextually that um, in terms of Best Picture it is one of two very likely candidates. I mean there are two films that's between this year and we'll get to that soon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so, do you want? Do we want to just start with a short film animated and work cool. our way up to the main event? Right, so stop me when you when we hit a category that you're more familiar with. Otherwise this is obviously a specialty uh, part of our show. Um, normally yeah. we do what we've watched this week, but our that is a we'll long... Get, we'll get to a very subdued, very sort of a brushed version of that yes. soon. But uh, we'll start with these Oscar ballots just because it's, it's topical, you know? Yeah. All right, so for animated short film, I've ticked off Hair Love. Mm-hmm which is a, a wonderful short film. You can actually watch it on Sony's YouTube channel for free. And for those looking, you can also watch Kitbull for, uh, for, on Disney Plus as well. Uh, even though I think personally Memorable is the best one in there. Those are the three that I've seen. I haven't seen the mm-hmm. other two. Memorable is like a perfect short film. It's amazing. But I think Hair Love has sort of, I don't want to say political edge to it, but there is sort of that, you know, it's about body image. It's about a little black girl and like dealing with her hair and this ballad and her mum has like cancer and stuff. So it's like, it kind of has all the right punches to win. And in terms of short film animated, as much as I love A Sister, I think that film is phenomenal. I think it's going to go to Nefta Football Club because it's that, that's kind of like the comedy. It's got the fun twist at the end where it's like, it seems super dramatic, but actually has like a fun little ending that's like, mm-hmm. ah, it kind of sticks with you. I think that's going to win. Uh, documentary short subject. I've seen very few of these. It, I think in the absence, as it has in the bag, that's a wonderfully edited film. And if life overtakes me, wins. I'm going to shoot myself because that's on Netflix right now, and that's not a good film. Interesting. I didn't think it was very good. I haven't caught any of them, but memorable from the animated category. Um, only okay. Off your hyperlink that you sent me, and I'm a sucker for that sort of paper mache esque oh, uh, animation. It's I really so beautiful. It. So I obviously I've. Personally chose Memorable because it's the only one I saw from that one. Okay. <laughs> um, yep. And then just spitballed with Saria and then learning to skateboard in a war zone if you're a girl. Okay. That sounds interesting. You know what? You might be right on that one. Oh, the okay. Na- the name alone kind of feels like they're going to lean towards that. Um, well, you said Saria for your... Yes. Okay. That's the only one I haven't seen in that category. 
Sounds like one that I reckon will probably... I'll see if I can <laughs> cop it. I'm only bad. That's literally spitballing off the name. Right, please. yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, I've just not caught short. I just don't catch them a They're lot. a little hard to find sometimes. Yeah. Like the animated, you get lucky because like Disney Plus has them and stuff, but some of them are really hard, really hard mm-hmm. to find, especially because most of them are in foreign languages. But we can move into the first category that I do have an opinion on. For uh, visual effects? For oh, visual effects. I know what your opinion um, is. <laughs> it's, I've, I've actually opted for Avengers Endgame. I did too. Uh, um, good there stuff. You go. um, basically, just it's the cultivation of that whole franchise. Yeah. Um, or at least, what is it? The, what do they call it? Phase? The phase phase three? one, two, three, or whatever. Yeah, that, I think it's the Infinity Saga. saga that's thing. it. Yeah. Um, so I was going to give it to them for that because they're not getting it anywhere else. Yeah, I think 1917 is the only one, just based on previous winners, that's the only one that could challenge it, but I agree with you. I think Avengers will get Yeah, but I think, yeah, 17 is going to pick up in other areas. Oh, it will. Um, It absolutely will. So I opted for Avengers Endgame on this one. Lion King can go, suck it. (laughs) Lazy. Uh, I don't understand how Lion King gets it, but Lady in the Tramp or something like that doesn't. You know, like because no one's ever, no one watched the new version. But it's like they're no literally none of them are different. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Yeah, okay. Um, oh, oh my god, I didn't even tick film editing. Oh, you didn't choose one. I I must have just forgot. Uh, all right, I'm going to. I think for me, I think Parasite is the absolute clear winner. Okay. Parasite's edit is like fucking insane, but mm-hmm. I also think The Irishman has a very good shot. I'm actually going to tick. Parasite for this. Cool, I'm, I'm going to go with The Irishman. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, obviously, I haven't seen Parasite, so it gets kind of voided. Um, Irishman from, has a great edit, though. From JoJo, or JoJo would probably be my runner-up of those. I don't think Ford vs. Ferrari's editing was particularly noteworthy. Mm. It's um, a good category, though, this year. Uh, yeah, um, and category. Joker, I don't really remember the editing being the, mm. the big Yeah, uh, I agree. The editing is the big one of that film. Man, that film's been lambasted on Rotten Tomatoes. Like compared to its other like surrounding. Yeah, like, I think just we on the political. It's currently we sitting on sixty nine percent. But so, yeah, uh, yeah. Right. We can move into production design. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, easily. Okay, I will easily. Nineteen seventeen. Oh, okay. Um, Why is it? Um, always. I, I mean, you've went for another period piece, so I think we're we're. I really probably should have done Once Upon a Time in Hollywood upon reflection. Because it's a Hollywood period piece and right. it's about production design. Um, 1917 has uh, you got to think the reason why a lot of those those long shots, particularly I I remember the sequence about 20 minutes in when they're mm. crossing no man's land. Yep. Um, the reason why that scene's so effective is due a lot to partly you know Deacon's camera work, but mm. obviously what's in the frame. Otherwise, it's kind of useless. Right. The production um, design. Oh yeah, the, the bodies and mm. when. Um, sorry, I cannot remember either of the main characters' names from that film. They're relatively unknown. So, um, yeah. But one of them, you know, puts like his hand. His hand goes into like a body, uh, like a stomach yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Just sort of what okay. they use. The things that are used in the space are what make that film as effective as it can be. Mm. I have my problems with 1917, but the production design was not one of them. Okay. Interesting. Um, I'm going, yeah, again, I'm going once upon a time in Hollywood just because there's so much of it mm-hmm. and recreating entire streets to look like 1969 Hollywood is like so impressive. And even the cost, I would love to give it costume design, which I just realized I also didn't tick. What am I doing? I, have, I haven't even finished half this thing. Like how um, I finished mine. But anyway, <laughs> once put down in Hollywood for me easily. Okay. Uh, Zeke, cinematography. I went with, once again, 1917. I also went with 1917. Um, I think it's obviously... The, uh, so watching 
There's like a 13 or 14 minute YouTube video about talking about some of the how they shot I think I've seen some that, of the yes. sequences. Yep. Uh, I watched that with um with Sarah after we watched the film, and because we watched that film together in yep. Canada. Yep. And um yeah, that was enough to be like that's enough reason why that thing deserves the cinematography. For me, it was very much like I wanted the lighthouse to win because I, mm. I absolutely adored the look of the lighthouse. But even just sitting down through 19... Especially when you get to that scene, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but uh, we've kind of entered into, let's say, the second half of the film, mm-hmm. and there's just all these giant flares and lights and just the imagination behind that lighting setup, in addition to the one is like, wow, this is Deacons on fucking I don't know if we we'll ever get a 1917 right episode, but I did not like that sequence at I, all. That blew my mind, mm-hmm. that scene. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fascinating. But I, the well, I think we're both sequences synonymous. of the film are where okay. I think it really shines. And they do talk about that in detail on the YouTube video. Um, but um, even just the setups. Yeah. Like, at least with Birdman, it feels like you're kind of on the... Even though it's an amazing one uh, simulation, there's all these, like, steady cam movements. While in mm-hmm. 1917... You can tell there's so many different rigs and cranes and all these different sort of setups being used to simulate those. So it's even more impressive than yeah, Birdman in that regard. They're, they're, I'm the sure same. we will have a 1917 we episode will. at some point, and I will talk about why I think that it was kind of... Um, although I think it will mm. win the cinematography category, I don't think it's nearly as effective as it is in Birdman. And okay. that's solely to do with story and context. I prefer Birdman as an entire package. Yes. I agree. But 1917 is so impressive, technically speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Costume designs, Zeke? Uh, Little Women. You know what? I'm Because, again, I didn't tick it. I'm going to go with you there. I think Once Upon mm-hmm. a Time in Hollywood also is a good chance, but I'm going to tick off Little Women. No, because I think there. this is, unfortunately, for it's Greta Gerwig's yeah, um, category. Well, I mean, Cerise Ronan will get a nod. Um in uh, the leading role category. Okay, but, we'll get to that. Um, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, no, um, unfortunately for Little Women, I just feel like for Greta Gerwig, this is going to be her token Oscar for that film. In the costume design? Yeah. It's I, the safe way of being like, oh, look, we're still giving you an Oscar. Right. But it's for costume design. I, I'm kind of in agreement with you there. I would be surprised if I want anything other than this. I think I think y- you're under the assumption it's it's... Other chances in actress. I think it's other chances in screenplay, and I'll get to why soon. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to go a few there. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could snatch it up. Maybe even Jojo Rabbit, maybe, but I'm going to tick off no. Little Women on that one. I'm going to give it to Jojo. Right. Although, we're looking at um, Sam Rockwell in that like super yeah, military yeah, yeah, get-up exactly. was still one of the best but keep, things. Keep in mind, when I say a lot of these, I'm referring to other award shows where it's like Jojo Rabbit got an editing nod, and, you know, in. Oh, what was the other? He got a, I think it got a directing nod at. So I'm I'm mixing all my BAFTAs mm-hmm. and SAGs and all that, but um, I'm going into it with that in mind. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about makeup and hairstyle. I think for me, it's easily going to be Bombshell. Okay. Just because everyone is like so in awe about the Megan Kelly makeup job that they've done on Sorry's Ronan. Or, okay. Um, for, Jesus, I'm having a stroke. Uh-huh. Charlie's for on. That's okay. it. Uh, I think that's an obvious one. What about you? Because um, I haven't seen Bombshell, I opted for Joker on this okay. one. Um I don't. I, I can see it. Can't. Uh, that's just sort of. I don't know why I picked that one yeah. in that situation. I was tossed between that or Judy, but I don't remember Judy's, Judy's not a bad one either. I um, guess. makeup being that. Uh, it's blow. not as transformative as the Megan Kelly transformation. So. So. Um, but uh, anyway, I actually didn't mind Bombshell. I thought it was quite good. Okay. But I'm um, also like uh, jeez, uh, the name of the director. You know, this trombo guy. Um, Jay Roach, sound mixing, and let's say sound editing while we're at it for mm-hmm. both of them. 
her. Did you pick the same film for these two? Nope. I did because they typically do end up going to the biggest, loudest film and they usually give them the same. So I picked 1917 for both sound editing and mixing. I did Joker for mixing, but 17 for editing. Okay. Um, why Why Joker for mixing? Uh, I think of... Um, it's sort of like... Because I've, I've, ironically, I've paired the score with uh, the okay. sound mixing. Okay. Because obviously, I think those two are reflective of one each other, each other. But like you've said, I think editing and mixing are also reflective. So I don't know if all three can sit in there. Right. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Um, I don't know. I think the score, uh, the score is mixed really well in Joker. And some of the problems that I have uh, with uh, 1917 involved the score. So that right, was sort okay. of my line of thinking. Okay. I'm just going with the whole like like how Dunkirk won both, Bohemian Rhapsody won both, so I'm um, yeah. You know, I've I've picked the loudest film to get both, so okay. I kind of I would love to see me be Ron in the scenario. I'd love to see like Ad Astra come out of nowhere and get a nod, mm-hmm. but uh, that's kind of where I'm standing. Uh, for best original song, uh, again, I've only seen a couple. I haven't seen Frozen Two or Breakthrough. Man, the audience hates Ad Astra. <laughs> Wait, really? Oh my. Oh, 40. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah, well, on the Rotten Tomatoes ballot, so they've got all the scores, audience and critic aligned. Yeah. Um, for original song, I'm going to go with I'm Going to Love Me Again by Rocketman. And it's solely political because uh, apparently Elton John is very famously... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Associated with the Oscars. Okay. And apparently he throws a lot at after parties. So I think it's going to be a very political... Let's just give him the Oscar. And he won the Globe too for the same category. I mean, I, I, I'm... Off the top of my head, of seeing all of the competitors too, there none of them are hugely noteworthy. Yeah, I agree. Songs. I honestly think the song. I don't remember the song from Toy Story Four. Um, I literally watched Harriet earlier today, and I know of the song, but it didn't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, even like Parasite's not nominated in this category, but it wasn't others. And I've seen that film several times, and I don't think of the music or that song in particular for Parasite. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a weak year in general. So that's why I'm going for Rocket Man. What did you end up? Selecting also Rocket Man. Okay, well, you should be fine on that one. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, best original score for me, it's easily Joker. Yep, I also opt to Joker. There you go. With uh, my sound mixing, I think the way it's mixed into the film right, is gotcha. a huge reason why that film's so effective with the score. One of the best parts of Joker by a mile. Yeah, I is remember. The score. I remember saying this when we did our Joker podcast. I said even more impressive than Phoenix's performance is the score. Yeah, and I'm glad that that's being reflected at the Globes, is being reflected at like the Baftas and stuff. Like people know this score is amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Uh, awesome. International feature film. I mean, this one's a little obvious. <laughs> uh, I went for Pain and Glory. Oh, okay. You're going off your heart on this one. Um, yeah. I just out of, um, I don't know. Because you're right. If I think there's been enough on the Parasite hype train yeah. to potentially make it win Best Picture. I really hope so. <laughs> means that right. it probably won't get International Feature Film 2. Sometimes they do them differently. Sometimes. They they just break them up because then it it's really starting to prove why I keep saying this more and more. They just should be the same category. Right. Because you I I honestly I look at there are three films in the international film category that I could swap into the best picture category. Would this be Pain and Glory and Honeyland? Yes. Yeah. With on top of Parasites. So Parasites yes, yes, already yes. in there and I would easily swap in Honeyland and Pain and Glory, because I think those films are better than probably Joker and probably Ford vs. Ferrari. I agree Ford vs. Ferrari is like the green book of the year. Yeah. Uh, That easily could be swapped out. I would have preferred to see something even like The Farewell. 
in there I'm, instead. I was literally like looking through yeah, this. Where I, that was going to be my like snub of the I've year. I've got a list here of all the snubs. Okay. There's one I'm really fucking angry about, and that's not the Oscars' fault. That's France's fault, and we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. Uh, all right, but so for you, Pain and Glory for me, it is Parasite. That's Banderas' best performance I've ever seen. He's amazing in it. He really, and I'm so glad he's nominated for performance as well. Yep. Uh, all right, moving on to documentary feature. So, yeah. I've seen, I haven't seen The Cave or The Edge of Democracy yet. I didn't have time for The Edge of Democracy, which is on mm-hmm. Netflix. Uh, I watched For Sama yesterday. I caught it at Luna. They had like a one time mm-hmm. screening sort of thing. I thought it was like one of the most horrifically amazing documentaries I've seen. Uh, I also think Honeyland is amazing, mm-hmm. and you, you also think it's amazing. Yep. I think, though, we're going to get a bit political here, and it's a good doco. I don't think it should win, but it probably will as American Factory. I really enjoyed American Factory. I think it's really good, but I think um, it's going to win solely because it's... Is that a Netflix original? Yes, I think so. Okay. But I think it's going to win because it's Obama-produced. So it's okay. very much like a vote for that is a vote for Obama. His production company shot it and everything. So. Mm, I think Honeyland is one of those films uh, that it, the reason it's so good, um, it just it's because it's something you never thought you'd ever see. Right. Okay. I think the point of a documentary sometimes is to capture an aspect of life that you know you may not have ever mm. considered or have seen. Whereas American Factory, although I really enjoyed the documentary was capturing a Western yeah. lifestyle point of view, which... It was fascinating, the culture clash, yeah. but you're right, it's not as interesting as, as Honeyland. Yes. So Whereas... I would love yeah. to see you be right on this. I would love to see yeah. that. Like, And the effort to... And the like the world that these documentary filmmakers... Mm. The, the reason I love Honeyland, and I don't think we'll ever get an episode to really like maybe digest and watch it, but... The reason why I think that film was so effective is sometimes it blurred the lines between documentary and narrative. I mm. think it was one of the most... It almost felt filmic at times. Absolutely, um, In yes. the sense that I forgot I was watching a documentary because it's, like, observational. Very obs- No reflection, no VO. No. No, none of that. You're right. It felt very... And even the narrative itself yeah. is so well-crafted in the editing, it feels like a three-act structure. Yeah, albeit maybe a little pushed here and there, but it still fits beautifully. Yeah, and there's some really amazing editing points in there mm. that helps fuel oh, this almost God. story I know film as well. Yeah, um, like structure. Stuff. And I really think that's one of the biggest uh, takeaways from that. I watched that film on the plane. I watched a couple of oh, these really? uh, Oscar-nominated ones on the plane because they were all on there. Wow. Okay. So I watched Honeyland, and I watched mm. uh, which is another film that I'm surprised not to see on here is Last Black Man in San Francisco. I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard good things. I'm mm-hmm. um, surprised that there's not a single nod for that film uh, on here, and I really enjoyed that film too. I would love to see that film because I've heard great things as well. Um, so you're going with Honeyland? Yes. And I am I would love to see you write a thousand times, or even For Sama is excellent, mm. um, but I think American Factory is going to see because I think it's a bit more accessible as well. Okay. Uh, but I, I wouldn't... This is a really great... Uh, Category this year. Yes. With the great docos, if none of them are all really depressing. <laughs> um, animated feature. I would love to see I Lost My Body win, because I think that's actually one of my favourite animated films of all time. But I think Klaus is going to get it. Is it Klaus or Claws? Klaus. Okay. I've always thought it was Claws. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's the play on words. It's a Christmas film. Okay. But it's Klaus, yes. Um, haven't I saw you... Is our Netflix? It's a Netflix original, okay, yes. Okay, so I'll have to give that one a watch. It's a very, like, traditional 2D... And they approach it as if, like, what if the 3D animation era never... 
you know, became what it is today, mm-hmm. this is what it's going to look like in 2D. And it's a beautiful film. Um, I went with I Lost My Body. Oh, um, I hope you're right. I do. Uh, simply because out of the... I've seen all but Klaus and Missing Link. Missing Link's fine. Narratively, it's very, like, bare bones, but the, the stop motion's awesome. I'm worried that Toy Story 4 might get it. Mm. Um... I can't see how to train your dragon getting it, even no, though I didn't yeah. enjoy that film, but it was not even my favorite of that series. Yeah, but, no, I feel you. Um, I lost my body. I'm going to go with, because I feel like that was the most prolific one out of the ones I watched. Yeah, I was. that is easily my favorite in the bunch. I think Klaus, just because Missing Link got its surprise not at the Globes. The fact that Frozen 2 isn't even nominated is massive news, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Toy Story 4 is going to lose because of that. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be Klaus, but I would also love to see you correct in that mm-hmm. scenario. All right, here we go. This is this was the hardest for me. So this is like the... It's this funny that really it's hard. structured almost in like a tier three, tier two, and tier one <laughs> category. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it kind um, of is. Because I feel like we're starting to move into the... yeah. The, this is the real... Well, this is the top... The big five, as they call it. Yes. Uh, so adaptive screenplay. For me, I would love to see Jojo Rabbit win. I think it's going to go to Little Women. Interesting. I opted for just The Irishman. Um, okay. So, because... I've read that script. Yeah? Yeah, I've down- I was doing some research and I found the Joker script, The Irishman script, all that. Mm, that's a long script to read. Actually, it's only like 140 pages. Ah. So the film's like 70 pages longer than the script says. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I. but I think you're bang on with Little Women. I think that might be the other sort of token Oscar yeah. it gets. Plus... As, as an adaption, it's the most inventive adaption that we've seen. I feel there is one that does play with time in the past, but this is definitely the most notable one. And you're right, they've got to give Greta Gerwig some sort of bump. She didn't get nominated for director or anything like that. So I think it's a good chance that she'll get this. Mm, interesting. Okay, so on to original screenplay. Right, this was really tough for me. I, if, I would love to see Parasite win. I think Parasite's script is so good. Um, is you, can't, you can't chisel that script whatsoever. I would also love to see Knives Out because yeah. it's the only one it's nominated for. But I think it's going to go Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't want it to, but it got the Globe for Best Screenplay, and I think that's pe- people. That's what they're going to give it to. Yeah, that's what I've got too, and I really oh, want to really? change it to Marriage Story. Like right, really, Marriage Story is getting hella snubbed. Like in our predictions, yeah. I just I want to just change my prediction just out of. If I was to pick this, it goes to Marriage Story. This is the hardest category. Like, Scrap 1917, that is a hard category to compete in. What the... F- I'm sorry. Why is 1917 <laughs> I don't in know. there? That's it, ridiculous. It should be in there. That's just actually... Put the farewell in there. Or is that adapt? No, that's original. That would be original. Yeah. Because it's not based on a book, book specifically. Yeah. So, um, I agree. That's... Anyway. Shit, I'd take two popes at least over... Oh, and uh, adapted? Oh, two popes it's is adapted. adapted. Beg yeah. my pardon. Yeah. Bloody film. Uh, <laughs> like there's some real much. films in there. I just do not understand why they're there. Uh, I would love to see Paris. Uh, I would love to see any of them win except 1917. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's like the next bump, but I think it will win. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's that's not a film I look at the script for. I look at the direction. I look at the costumes. I look at the performances. I don't look at the script mm-hmm. for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it's going to win. I feel like it. Yeah, so you're playing with your head, not your heart. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm for a lot of these. You're, you are going with... Uh, what are you going for again? For original? Yeah, uh, what's once your upon lot? A time. Okay, okay, we'll, with we'll see. my heart dying, because I think the Marriage Story screenplay Marriage Story is, is a brilliant script. Is All yeah. right, now we're going to go into our four acting categories. Now, I'm going to let you go first on these, Zeke, because 
I'll just say the same four people from all four of these have won the Globe, the SAG, and the BAFTA, and I believe the Critics. So mm. it's very much spelled out who's going to win, but I'll let you go first for all four of these. Okay. Um, so for actor in the sporting role, I mm. went with Brad Pitt. Okay. Um, I, also not... went, I also went with Brad yep. Pitt. He's going to uh, win. It's not the one I would have picked in that category. I would have picked Joe Pesci. Um, I love Joe Pesci as well, and frankly, I would have replaced everyone else. I would have replaced him with Wesley Snipes from Dolomite, mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Foxx from Just Mercy, and Willem Dafoe for The Lighthouse. Okay. But no, because Tom Hanks is in a sweater, he gets a nomination. Be ridiculous, right? Uh, he's okay in that film. Um, so, actress supporting role, I went with Laura Dern. Yes, also Laura Dern, I went with too. Um, I think that's the safe bet of... If Florence Pugh won, my heart would explode. My new girlfriend. <laughs> I just, you know, she's, my she's not my part, favorite part of Little Women, so that's really interesting. Um, uh, with actor in a leading role, yep. I opted for Adam Driver. Oh, okay. But I really would have given it to Antonio Banderas, I think. He Damn, my okay, pick, mixing it up. Which is probably the two that aren't going to, it's going to be Joaquin, probably. Yeah, it, I put Joaquin, he's won every other category, uh, so, or every, yeah, so far. But either of those two you brought up, I would not be angry with. It's annoying because I actually think LDC is better in Once Upon a Time than Brad Pitt is. Really? I think so. You know, honestly, I think about... Everyone's like, that's an amazing performance from him. He plays like a stoner stuntman who's just chill all the time. He takes his shirt off. It's funny because he made a joke about that at, I think it's the SAGs. Like, he went on stage, he won the award, and he said, he's like... Yeah, it was really hard for me to play this role. A guy who takes his shirt off, gets high, and has bad issues with his wife. <laughs> it's a real like it's, he said that he acknowledged I'm, that. I haven't I haven't seen Ad Astra yet, but I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to be more compelled by his performance uh, in Ad Astra. Nah, I'm I'm just baffled by like I watched Once Upon a Time. I enjoyed it, but like I didn't think any of the performances were particularly like. Apart from Leo's performance, I think Leo's and the kids' fantastic. performance. Oh my god, the kids amazing. Um, She's amazing. Yeah. But everything Brad Pitt did, I just felt like he was a dude who walked around in a car. He checked out some dirty hippie. He took a dirty hippie <laughs> to a house, and then he and just he, really cool. <laughs> then he killed I, said hippie. <laughs> we walked. We walked out of the cinema, and I was like, no. "All I know is Brad Pitt is the coolest person." Yeah, but exactly. Like, that doesn't mean he was a good actor, and he was just really cool. I would, I would prefer to see Willem Dafoe win in a category like yeah. that, but it's going to be him, and it's going to be Joaquin for leading actor. Okay. Um, and you went with Adam Driver. Yeah, I went with Adam Driver just out of potentially. I'm trying to go that's, for the that second. That is the next best. Yeah, I think you have a chance there. The second fave. Like, um, that's what I'm going with, because I think yeah. sometimes the Oscars deviate from everyone else because they want to be different and... Maybe some possibly, yeah. Potentially, with the backlash with Joaquin's Joker, they may. Well, I think the backlash is coming out in all the other categories. Yeah, I think it's not hurting him specifically. Okay, but yeah. um, but Banderas would have been my pick. I think yeah, some great. of his subtle nuances in a film that I only recently watched too. Yeah, um, I only caught it about a month ago as well. I caught it about four or five days ago. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's that's where I'd opt for. But, um, yeah, so moving into actress in a leading role. Yes, give me your um, take. I went with Cerise Ronan. Okay. Um, that would be that would be sick. That, that would, would be, be so cool. Um, she has easily the best performance in... And, and I have my problems ha, with Little Women. Have you seen... You've seen four out of five of these? Yeah. 
I've only not seen... Oh, no. I've seen three out of five. I haven't seen Bombshell or Harriet. Oh, right. Um, um, I mean, she's great in Bombshell, but I think it's kind of off the table. And Harriet... I only saw it this morning. I'm she's really fine con- in Harriet. I'm really but, confused yeah. with Harriet because I feel like a lot of people just do not care for that film that much. I watched it this morning and... It feels like another Green Book-esque nomination. Uh, yes and no. I mean, the problem with Harriet is that there's actually a really fantastic story, like a real-life story in there. Mm-hmm. And it just brushes over it so much. And as someone who just watched Gone with the Wind, which mm-hmm. takes place, you know, during the Civil War, which similar era to this film, uh, n- not the most similar context, but you know, and Gone with the Wind's a four-hour extravaganza, mm-hmm. and this film was two hours, and it felt like it just brushed over so many things that f- felt like they needed to be important. That was the big issue with the editing and the direction. This film didn't feel important when it easily it had all the bits in there to be important, and it didn't use it, utilize it. Yeah, I mean, I, if I like, I would say yes. Yeah, Cerise Ronan's my way to go with that one because uh, she has some amazing sequences mm. in Little Women. Uh, she's easily my favorite part by a mile in that film. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, she has one of the best monologues in the film towards Laura Dern in the latter parts of the film. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a retail. It's the third rendition of that film. Yeah. I mean, um, if you include, like, TV movies and that, it's, like, the seventh. Oh, Jesus. It's insane, yeah. Um, I think Zellweger's really good in Judy. She's easily the best part of Judy. I think she's going to win. Um, Same I, as Joaquin. She's won all the other awards. I think... Um, I mean, I have my problems also with Judy, uh, but she is not one of them. Yeah, um, she's great in it. I think the story can be a bit paper thin sometimes. I mm. feel like there are problems with the story, particularly uh, sort of the, the male... Uh, the funny thing about okay. music biopic films is mm. they've always got a character that's just like Over you know top. he's he or she is the mm. bad sort of person who's the money sniffer, right? The okay. money sniffer character, but um, she's really good in it. Uh, she did move me with some of uh that light, like that. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, in some of those scenes, it was quite moving. It was one of my favorite performances by her I've ever seen. Wow. Okay. Um, you didn't like her in a uh, Me Myself and Irene. I've never seen that. <laughs> I only saw it a couple of months ago. Um, it's okay. I, I think of the films that I most notably know Zellweger for, it'd probably be Chicago. Okay. Um, and Toby Maguire. No, Jerry Maguire, sorry, be my pardon. Right, okay. Uh, so I think she's going to win. I think, Just from yeah. the... Yeah. Be cool to see Cerise Ronan win, though. I would love that as well. Because I think she's... You're picking a lot of the ones that I really hope to see happen. Um, She's like, out of all of them... She's the only sort of new generation. Oh no, probably Cynthia Erivo. I'm assuming. Maybe. Well, was first off, this is at, this is Scarlett's first nom, and we 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 nominated, we picked it. She yeah. got nominations in both categories. Yeah, I'm happy. That was um, so great. But I mean, Cerise Ronan. This is her fourth nomination. You just got to give it. That's insane. I and mean, she's at what? Not even in out of her twenties yet. Yeah. So it's like, give this woman a nod already. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like I've seen her in like. Brooklyn and stuff like that. She's just amazing. She's like that. She is one of those like once in a generation uh, mm. actors. You know, she's up there with like the Michael B. Jordans. Okay, and, like, yeah, the, yeah. The people that you, like. She's coming out. I honestly think Florence Pugh is becoming that yeah. as well. I'm. I mean, I, I just have like a big crush on her. But like between Fighting with My Family, Midsummer, and, and Little Women, like she's so, versatile. So Jake. Fuck. Now up All right. to the second biggest category of the night. Debatably. Best directing. I don't. I wish it was Bon Joon Ho. I wish, 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 wish. But with your head. I mean, my head is going to be Sam Mendes. Yeah, I'm going to Sam Mendes yeah. too. Just he keeps he keeps winning. Um, 
I would have loved to see. I obviously haven't seen Parasite, so we've got to bear with me. Yeah. Um, I would have probably gone with Scorsese. Um, I would have gone with Tarantino, actually. No. <laughs> He's never been. Uh, he never won for directing. How ever. hard is it? How hard is it to direct Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> Brad Pitt? How hard and- is it to direct De Niro and Al Pacino? And and I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I look. Think- it's a good. It's a good category. I think it is. It would be harder to. D- direct a bunch of 70 year old men okay, that it would enough. be and Joe a couple Pesci of, a, couple of, a guy who's playing a high dude and then Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. like <laughs> I mean I'm sorry I actually think it would be way harder That's... to direct Al Pacino than yeah. it would be getting Joe Pesci out of the house <laughs> <laughs> what am um, I doing I oh, would just do like a 70 year old version of Goodfellas yeah yeah <laughs> you know I finally caught Goodfellas in the last couple of months oh yeah and yeah it's really excellent yes. I think Irishman's better it is. Yeah. I agree. Now, before we jump into Best Picture, I have created a new category. The snub I've, list. I've done it. Yes, we'll do the snub list mm-hmm. and my new category, which I've called Best Direction from a Human with Vaginal Organs, because we keep not putting these female directors in. I can name at least four that are more deserving than Todd Phillips. Just Greta saying. Gerwig. All right. My list, I put five in here. Greta Gerwig for Little Women, uh, Mariella Heller for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, because it's one of the only things I liked about the film was its direction. Olivia Wilde for Booksmart, Lulu Wan for The Farewell, and Salim Skimar for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's the big one I haven't seen. That, that I... is my favourite from a 2019. Better than um, Parasite. Yeah, that's the... Talk, you want to talk about snubs. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I will give you... I probably wouldn't give you Olivia Wilde, um, but I would definitely give you... Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I wrote those five being their own category. Yeah. I wasn't writing them to be better than okay, what's in there. But I agree with your Todd Phillips uh, substitution yep. and potentially probably Tarantino too. Um, Damn. Okay. I would have taken okay. Tarantino and Phillips out and probably put Gerwig and uh, who was the farewell director? Uh, Lulu Wan. Lulu Wan. Oh, so good. She she did a round table with like Scorsese and um, Greta Gerwig uh, geez, who else was in there? I'm blanking, but like they did a roundtable. Amazing, and maybe potentially Noah Bombach. Yeah, I'm surprised he's not in here actually. A um, little bit. Well, he's I got the screenplay, I guess. Yep. You know they both got six nominations: Noah oh, Bombach nice. and Greta Gerwig. They're a Gerwig. couple, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Apparently, they were, like they have a kid as well, and they live together, and um, they apparently it helps that they only have six nominations each because it's like there's no egotism now. They both got the exact same number. Man, so they've joked about it. Don't, before. don't, yeah, but you know that's like not joking. <laughs> yeah, no, it's literally not. All right, now the snubs. I wrote a few full-on snubs here before we do best picture. Mm-hmm. Uncut gems, zero nominations, which is ridiculous. That is actually ridiculous. I think Adam Sandler. Safdie's I'd want in there. Oh my god, yeah. yeah for oh sure. my goodness. Um, the farewell across the board. That's that's the one that I'm baffled. It's not an international feature film. Like Honeyland gets. Yeah. I love Honeyland, but it's got two knobs. You know, I just... Oh, yeah, and Doco as well, yeah. I just... It's gonna... And it's only gonna win one of them. It's, like, I... It I, might win Doco. That's all it's got, I think. Yeah. So, instead, just give... Swap it out. Yeah. Oh, the Farewell's amazing. Um, I put in Booksmart and Midsommar in here. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Dolomite is my name. Specifically, production design. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's not even nominated blows my mind. Yeah, I give you definitely production design. Costume design. Yeah. Too. Uh, going back to a portrait of a lady on fire. That's France's fault because they submitted a different film for their international film. So what they, the, they submit the um, Les Miserables. Yeah, what the fourteenth yeah, version exactly. of that film? But portrait of a lady on fire, which I think is a blown out masterpiece. 
is not in any of these categories, but eh, screw it. Uh, especially for Adele Hanel in supporting. She was phenomenal. Uh, in the doco space, Apollo 11 and Fire. Nothing. Yeah, Fire's a big one. Yeah. Fire's one of those films I forgot came out last year because I watched it so early yeah, in the year. Exactly. Yeah, both of us. Um, yeah, no, I think those are all really good. I'd probably only add probably Last Black Man in San Francisco oh, yeah, to definitely. that list. Um, from just the top of my head there. Yeah, I would also say that instead of having Star Wars for soundtrack, should have put Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Because all that consisted of that Star Wars soundtrack is a mixing board of all the other Star Wars soundtracks. <laughs> Was so there a new track? You're referring in... to score? Yes. See, I maybe would have potentially... Yeah, no, for original score, yeah, I would have... That, that's where I would put... Because Marriage Stories, I was thought Marriage Story wasn't in there, but it is. Yeah. I would have given it to Marriage Story, mm. um, but yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good swap. So that that's kind of was and us, of course. I think Lapita could have got a Best Actress nomination, but oh well, because of money, she, they probably paid for that nom. Yeah, well, that that's the thing. It comes back to money. The studios have the money. That's why Joker's got so many nominations because they spent all the money, and it's why. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's honestly to do with that. It's all publicity mm. and politics and money and the studios and the advertising campaigns. But, Zeke, best picture. Um. Okay, so I opted for With My Head, Not My Heart, mm-hmm. as the rest of them. I went with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm, okay. So I think you have a good shot there. I think I do too. I do love Hollywood. Well, Hollywood. here's the thing, because the best picture is the only one for Perev... Uh, preferential ballot so instead of just whatever gets the most they have to select the film that gets at least 50 percent of the votes and if none of them do they eliminate sort of uh they eliminate the lowest rated one and then and those then, votes get reassigned to yeah, the second the choice second, yeah the second exactly so, so it's like that's, a it's a one two three four five exactly six, right seven, so five, i yeah. think once put a time in hollywood if it gets all the twos and threes it does a really good chance I think, unfortunately, well, half, unfortunately, I think it's between 1917 and Parasite. I think those are the two leading. I would love to see Parasite win. I would love it with all my heart. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I, I know it's going to be 1917, and I hate that. I hate that it's going to be 1917. Yeah, see, I would really wish for Marriage Story. I think that, that would was be a my, great one too. Out of the category that I'm seeing, not the ones that have been snubbed from said category. Yep. Uh, Marriage Story is the film I enjoyed the most. Probably followed by The Irishman and then Jojo Rabbit. Fair enough. So, to see Jojo in there is actually really liberating. It's awesome, really nice. Isn't it? yeah. um, I think he, Watiti, was also snubbed from the directing category. I completely agree with that. I would have swapped him out for Todd Phillips in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he needs to finally get a bit of uh, credit for his directing ability. Yeah. Also, I mean, to work with kids. Way harder to direct than Joaquin oh. Phoenix, who <laughs> we all know. I watched The Master today, too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Probably much easier to, uh, you know, get a good performance I, out of yeah, him. Yeah, I, I agree. Than yeah. a kid who kids are like flipping a coin. <laughs> um, even though I think, what's his name? Roman, uh, what's what's the kid who plays Jojo? Oh, gosh. Uh, Roman David Griffiths? That's a that's a good guess. How did I have that off the top of my head? Um or Roman Surprise. Griffith Davis, it might be one of those two. I guess there's only so many uh, people. Well, he was nominated for a Golden Globe. This is what I love about the Globes. And if you want to hear my thoughts on the Globes, you can go to the Pool Room episode 10, which I actually guest starred on. I, I give my Globes takes there. Uh, and a review of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, if you want to check Fucking it out. two popes is in the acting leading role. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Yeah, I, I could have swapped it. I mean, they were great in the film, but I could have swapped either of them out. I think they were great. 
I like that okay. film more than you do. I know. I know okay. that's true. Um, two right. popes, too many. So <laughs> that's your sequel right there. Um, no, oh, okay, goodness. that's uh, categories. So we'll probably next briskly, week. Yeah, next yeah. week we'll review this. See who scored well. I'll probably give this to you. Yeah, um, I can hold so on to it. If you, you hold want. on to it. Um, I got to remember when I get home to tick off editing and costume design, which I've publicly announced already, so I can't go back on it. But what I gave Little Women costume. Uh, that's yours, yeah. And <laughs> editing to Parasite, which is really fingers crossed on that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll, we'll so Jake, well, now we're going to move into a regular segment of the show, correct? Mm, uh, that's what right. have you watched? Not this week, but <laughs> the last several weeks. Yeah, because obviously we are now into the fifth and or sixth week of the year. Technically, it's like yes, somewhere, yeah, sort of around there. So we've had about yeah, something like thirty that. something days in this year. What have you watched in those last 30-something days? Oh, my God. Days? So I've really truncated my list here. I've actually broken up into a couple of categories. I'll, I'll list it down. You can jump in mm-hmm. whenever you want. Um, so between us, here's some statistics, Zeke. Okay. I looked at your letterbox. You've mm-hmm. been logging your films... As of the start of the year. As of the 1st of January. Yes. Uh, I had a few leading into that date since our Star Wars recording, mm-hmm. which was the last one we came together to record on. Uh, collectively, we have watched 136 feature films. It's disgusting. Since... I- <laughs> We don't. You can tell we don't have a life. So when I was like, uh, when I was, trip uh, as well. my my thing was literally snowboard, come home and watch films. Right. And that's yeah. You can continue with the statistics. No, well that that's about it. <laughs> oh, um, I did watch twelve short films in addition to that though. To so, be fair. Yeah, yeah, you have. But, um, um, I've watched only feature films this year. Yeah. And as of today, I have watched or episode fifty six. I've watched sixty three films. Because I am going to do the... I've been hashtagging it under the 2020 film challenge. The yeah, biggest, we're, both, we're both well ahead on this one. <laughs> uh, yep. And I've watched 63 films as of, I think it's like day 34 or day 35 of the year. Right now. Um, maybe a bit later. Well, they're on the knife now. What's that? So we're close no, to the 40th day. 40th day. Yeah. Um, so a bit ahead. Um, and yeah, no, I've... I've a probably lot. got to go... I'm only going to go really through uh, some of the films that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I um, mean, you can go on either of our letterboxes to get, like, a star rating or a general synopsis. Yeah, I'm not going to go through, like... Because uh, you're giving a lot of, like, two, two and a half stars, so it kind of gives people an idea of whether you liked it or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, big films I really enjoyed. Um, Wild Rose, which is a film... That came out last year that I'm a bit disappointed it didn't get any, oh, okay. particularly uh, okay. on the the sound mixing and actually Ooh. original song. Now that I think about oh, it, okay, because you're gonna write your name on the ballot. I just realised. Oh, okay. There's uh, a thing down there. Uh, yeah, so original song because there is a song called Glasgow from Glasgow. Uh, Wild Rose, which absolutely should have been in there. Um, an amazing performance from. I'm trying to get her name off the top. She's in Judy. She oh, is okay. um, the manager. Oh, Jesse Buckley. Very nice. She's uh, cute. So she, yeah, um, <laughs> Kodachrome, a film that came out a couple of years ago. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Ed Harris and Jason Sudeikis and uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Yes. So yes. real strong cast. Really good. You know who I caught for Olivia uh, Olsen? Jesus Christ! Uh, say it again. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I finally caught Wind River. Oh, really good. So good. Really, really good. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, it, he's got some acting chops. I think it's Taylor. Jeremy Sheridan. Renner. No, the, the the writer, Taylor. Sheridan. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, the farewell. Obviously, we've talked about a fair bit on this show. Excellent film. Um, there will be blood. First time I've ever watched mm. that film. Paul Thomas Anderson, 
And that might be the best film from the 2000s. Damn, that I've son. ever watched. More, maybe one of the best films I've ever watched. It's actually probably in the top five. Whew. I gave it a flat five stars. I kind of, I get this feeling now, you might get it too, now that we're watching so much, it feels like the majority, when, when we used to talk about films like our favourite films, mm-hmm. it felt too extravagant, you know, like there's yeah. so many films. That, but I felt like because most of what we watched, we've watched in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. we can kind of, more safely claim things as yeah. like the best of something. Yeah, no, I we so, are yeah. doing a There Will Be Blood episode without a doubt. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm keen. I, we have pitched, an, uh, there's an idea in the works oh, that yeah, I pitched yeah, to you yeah. um, that I really like the idea. A um, couple of like, I, I, I mean, obviously uh, There Will Be Blood is a huge, well-known, mm-hmm. uh, really good film. Um, a couple of the films that are a little less known that I really enjoyed. Um, the Fundamentals of Caring... I've heard about this. Um, yeah, it was a really good film. That's with um, okay. Paul Rudd. And, nice. Uh, really good. Uh, it's on Netflix. Pretty widely available. But Yeah, I keep uh, hearing about this movie. I've got to get to it. Uh, I really enjoyed um, Molly's Game, which is Soderbergh. You've told me about this, yes. And Mississippi Grind, which is Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, the directors of uh, Captain Marvel. Oh, that is too. And they there did a go. film with Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendo. And it was awesome. Yeah, so they do have, and I've watched a couple of their films, not really enjoyed it. This is the first one I've actually enjoyed from them. Oh, well, there you um, go. So co- kudos to them. They can direct. Um, <laughs> uh, like oh, I no. said, Last Black Man San Francisco uh, was pretty good. Um, and Icarus was pretty good. And At Eternity's Gate was another really good film. Yes, I've been meaning to catch this for ages. Willem Dafoe, yes? Yes, speaking of Willem Dafoe earlier in the show, uh, that was a really good one. A couple of the disappointing ones uh, that I was surprised... I also watched X Market for the first time. That was really good. Nice. But uh, another... Dis- like, films that I've been, you know, told that they were really good and I didn't mm. get much out of them. I didn't get much out of uh, Ray, which is about Ray Charles, which okay. was the film with Jamie Foxx. Uh, oh, yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, I know this Didn't one. care for The Post. Um, yeah, that, uh, that's not surprising anyone. <laughs> Yeah, um, a couple of other like uh, ones that I just didn't care for at all were like I didn't really enjoy Blinded by Light, which was that film about a uh, Pakistani boy in like the eighties okay. who's influenced by Bruce Springsteen. Sort of came oh, out. That, same yeah, t- no, I remember when as, we t- we announced it coming yeah, out. Yeah, yesterday yeah, yeah. also didn't care for that. that yeah, much. that was pretty mediocre. Um, which I don't even think I've rated on here, but I remember what oh, I really? watched it this year. Wow, I don't think I have. I have to look at that. That um, was it. Was okay. It was the Art of Self Defense didn't really care for oh, that really? film. That's another one I've heard was okay, but um, right. yeah. And I watched Super Size Me Two, which I didn't know that came out. It was really bad. Oh, I'm sorry. So it's dis- the Spurlockers. first one's like a masterpiece of documentary. It's. I mean, it's okay. It's a good example of a participatory yeah, uh, yeah, documentary. Yeah. Um, but the second one was just sort of a vacuumless money grab. I felt. Um, and didn't offer yeah. nearly as much insight as the first one did. That's a shame, because he starts his own restaurant, isn't it? Yes. And, yeah. of course, I watched the film of the week, which we'll talk about later in the show. Yes, absolutely. And uh, The Master today. Master, so, yes. Which was good, also. Not as good it as... It was strange, because we were talking about The Master, and I we couldn't remember if you had seen it or not before. Yeah. I have now, so that's I was what like, matters. I was, like, digging through old podcasts to try and, like, get you, being like, wait a second, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it. There we go. So yeah. it's... Uh, 
very hypnotic. Yeah, apparently. Almost like the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you, Jake? The Master's one I need to rewatch because I remember being very, oh, it's okay, but mm-hmm. the more I think about it, I'm like, wow, that was actually really incredible and I need to rewatch it. Yeah, it's, it's probably got one of the best performances from Philip Seymour Hoffman mm. that I've seen. And Joaquin's amazing in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Transformative. It's just... Um, so I've watched a few classics. I, I broke it down into classics, new films, mm-hmm. notable films, and director catch-up. So I'll start with the director catch-up. I'll okay. just list them off. So in director catch-up, I watched several Scorsese films I haven't seen before. I watched Who's That Knocking at My Door, which was his uh, de- directorial debut, and Mean Streets, which mm-hmm. I wasn't really that huge on either of them. It felt like just films that he learned to perfect later in like Goodfellas, which was another one I've seen. Watched Games in New York. I was actually pretty high on that one. Shutter Island, I really enjoyed. I've never seen it before. Uh, I watched Cape Fear, both his rendition and the original by J. Lee Thompson. Mm-hmm. I thought the J. Lee Thompson version was actually like phenomenal. And I thought Scorsese's version was pretty good. Interesting ideas, but not as it's not as clean or as straightforward as the original. And I watched Silence, which is Adam Driver and, and um, uh, Andrew Garfield. And I was actually like almost in tears bored oh wow yeah, it was like it's very well shot very well acted there's some great like visual storytelling going on there i i mean i'm a catholic myself so i mm-hmm. should be drawn to a story like this and i was so bored watching this movie it was long drawn it, out it, it was two and a half hours it felt like five it was just god i don't i don't know there was some nice scenes in there but it was just a, such a drag and i'm sorry mm. i i recognize it's a role-made film but it's dreadfully boring. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Uh, Christopher Nolan. I finally caught up on Insomnia and The Prestige. Really? The Prestige is awesome. Wow. I I'm love not the a big fan of The Prestige. Really? It's one of my least favorite Nolan films. But I was not a big fan of Insomnia. That's unbelievable. I thought it was okay. What? It's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Crazy. Flip, flip. I mean, I also watched Heat the other day, so I'm on an Al Pacino sort of oh, run okay. with that. Yeah, he was pretty good, actually. Um, Felt I'm, very like that's where GTA Five came from was here. Yeah, it's totally. Like, it's sort of Michael Mann. It is sort of mm. campy, cheesy action. I don't think it was that campy. There's but... like one. I mean, it's the the scene that gets shown the most is probably one of the best scenes in Heat. Oh yeah, the the conversation over the between table, De Niro so. and Pacino. That's an yeah. excellent scene. Yeah, but the rest of the film, I don't, know, I don't care for Val Kilmer that much or anything like that. So. Yeah, neither. I guess so. I I get it. I get it. It was good, but I, I'm not going to rave about it all day. Um, Michael Moore finally watched like uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 and 11-9 and Bowling for Columbine and yeah I mean they're interesting do- do- documentaries to dissect mm-hmm. um, especially because in, in some I prefer some more than others because in, as an actual documentary with an authoritarian voice of God they're actually quite well done in ways but I also don't like when he goes to Kmart and abuses them for selling bullets it's like well yeah. You're kind of muddling what the real issue here is, but it, you know it's very politically driven. It's hard to kind of. Get oh yeah, yeah, that. that was my problem with Fahrenheit 9/11. Yeah, because like though he was making valid points, it was also very clearly a, a subjective documentary. Yeah, they don't really give you a lot of uh, varying points of view on that, no. and it feels like obviously it's a staple of its time, and it's a great look into how America was at the time. But it's not different from the kind of things you would find on YouTube nowadays. Yeah. You can go on YouTube and find an equally well-crafted sort of documentary, quote-unquote. But again, it was that was a while ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, Spielberg, I finally watched Saving Private Ryan and Catch Me If You Can. 
Ooh. And I thought they were both excellent. Yeah, they're both they're both Spielberg at some of his best. Oh my god, Catch Me If You Can felt very Scorsesean in a lot of ways. Catch Me If You Can is probably one of my most oh, probably one of my most entertaining Spielberg films I know. I've yeah, I've watched awesome. it I think three or four times. Wow, it's still yeah. just fun to watch. It's, it's a so really fun to watch. Easy watch. I watched it. For, I think my brother was like having a party and his friend was mm-hmm. over from like another state and a few of us just sat down and we just picked a movie to watch and. They were, give, they were giving me crap because there's a lot of classics I haven't seen. They just picked that film specifically so I could watch it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's really excellent. Uh, Tim Burton, I watched Ed Wood, finally, which I thought was excellent. Frank and Weenie, which I actually thought was really, really good. I've never been motivated to watch that film. It's like it's like the ne- the Neo or the... the man, I'm, I'm having a lot of strokes there, aren't I? <laughs> They're like the neo-noir sort of version of a Wes Anderson quality animation. Interesting. Um, fantastic, honestly. I would love to do an episode on it, frankly. And the original 89 Batman, never caught it until a few weeks ago. Neither. Oh. I've never watched any of the Batman movies outside of the Nolan. Right. And, and the new crap. The new stuff. <laughs> it was interesting because the film, like, obvious, it was kind of similar when I walked into Angel of Mine, where we know something about the story of this film, but the movie pretends like we don't know for an hour into it. Mm-hmm. For example, the film doesn't tell you that Bruce Wayne is Batman until like an hour plus in. Interesting. And Bruce Wayne's character is like, he's a mystery. So like, we're kind of looking at it through the the uh, the lens of Vicky Vale, who's like a, a journalist, and she learns about his parents' death like an hour and a half into the movie. And it's like, this is a weirdly interesting narrative structure for a Batman film. Yeah. So uh, I took that away from it. Um, the last one is Lars von Trier for Melancholia, which I have seen kind of. I finally watched it from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And Dogville, which was really weird. Uh, sort of the whole film takes place in like this artificial play setting. So like it takes place in a town, but like they've drawn it on the floor in like a stage oh. and they've drawn out like this is the barn and this is where, you know, the cranberries live. And then um, Naomi Watts kind of comes in and, brings a lot of trouble into the town and it's, it's an interesting idea interesting but yeah um Fair but enough. other than that classics gone with the wind casablanca die hard finally caught die hard as the christmas movie of the yes holidays. uh and cats i saw cats <laughs> and your eyes were burned into the back of your pretty skull. much yeah it was weird because i walked out being like there was actually a version of this film that could i could have liked but like it's so recognisably bad. It's not just horrifying. It's like I can point out all the things they could have done to fix the film. Yeah. Most no. importantly, just give them costumes. Yeah. Don't make them horny CGI cats. It's creepy as shit. <laughs> it's just weird. I think they just but, need to give up on like Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, films, adaptations. <laughs> just everything. <laughs> it's like, and I think Phantom of the Opera is my favourite musical by a mile, but that movie sucks. Mm. It's flat, boring Gerard Butler can't sing. How do you make musicals where you cast people you that can't, sing. can't sing? I don't know, man. It was the same problem with Les Mis. Russell Crowe can't sing, yeah. but they still cast him in one of the biggest roles in the film. And it's like, how does that work? <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I still haven't seen it either. You have the Hugh Jackman one. right there. <laughs> <laughs> man, that man is multi-talented. Yeah. Okay, well... Cool. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, it's there's a lot there's a lot here I'd love to talk about in detail. This is one in another week. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we jump in, and I'll say the same for career updates. Let's postpone those a little mm-hmm. longer because this is a massive episode. I just want to before we jump into our film of the week, I want to make a couple of little corrections. Okay. So in the last six pre-recorded episodes, there's a few things that we've said that upon listening back to, I was like, ooh, that's not correct, or yes. there's something I need to clarify. 
So episode 50 in our Shining review, I proclaim that there are several shots at the start of the film where you can see the helicopter blades as the camera's flying and you can see mm. the shadows and stuff. Uh, it turns out that that was only for the DVD I rented. I recently bought the 4K Blu-ray of it and those shadows do not exist in that version. Interesting. So they've cleaned it up, it seems. Uh, episode 52, I claimed... And keep in mind, this was a pre-record... We've watched a lot of 2019 films yeah. since then, but I've claimed that 2019 was not a good year in film. And I want to say, I do not think that anymore. <laughs> I take that back. It's a tricky part of, uh, uh, of pre-records. Yeah, pre-records and just saying stuff. I yeah. think, um, obviously, looking back on... That was episode 52, you said 52, that? 52, yep. Um, which was obviously our first film awards for the Golden Chock Top and That's the correct. Stale Popcorn Awards. <laughs> um <laughs> We've Love already it. discussed following that episode, we will introduce a third category. Uh, yeah, for exclusively the next, for the newer films. For exclusively for the year of films, which currently right now only sits at one that you and I have both seen, I'm pretty sure, would from 2020. Americana? It would be Miss Americana, which we both did not give two <laughs> shits about. I mean, you just liked it a little more than I did, I did. but it was very flat yeah. in that regard. A lot of like, how much does this much person like music. want to... Oh! Um, <laughs> uh, you want to listen to Romeo and Juliet son again? <laughs> it's a love story, yeah. Love story, that's it. Um, no, it no you're that, done. you talk about Mike, like that Michael Moore sort of one sidedness. That <laughs> that doco couldn't have been more one sided oh, and goodness. Uh, artificial in its construction. Right. I know there's some interesting ideas they kind of touched, brushed a little bit on, but yeah. definitely didn't go as deep as they could have. It's you're right. It's especially like going from that to something like For Sama. Or Honeyland, where it's like, yeah, these are what docos are really about. The last correction, and this is like a legitimate uh, question, correction, I should say. Mm-hmm. Episode 55, which frankly was only one week ago, so mm-hmm. we, can get, we can jump on this. We falsely proclaimed the National Parks as an Icelandic band. We were thinking of a Monsters and Men. Uh, of The National Parks are actually American. Interesting. So we messed up on that. Well, uh, the more you learn. The more you know, exactly. All right, well, big week, Zeke. Yeah. So I think let's uh, push it on in. Really? Okay, yeah, let's well, jump ahead. it's time for our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching? This week we are watching The Graduate. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. When he is lured into a seductive affair with the wife of his father's business partner, college graduate Benjamin also falls in love with his daughter Elaine. Hmm. Well, obviously we picked The Graduate because as of tomorrow, Jake and I have officially finished Yay! our undergraduate degrees By the time you're listening media. to this, that's the one. Um, so that's, it was just kind of a namely sort of discussion. Yeah. And, and ha- upon watching it, it's like, oh man. It's kind of a clever thing, actually. It's very um, clever. Is this what I'm entailed to, Zeke? Or are you planning on, getting, you're planning on getting in, with, an affair? With Mrs. Robinson? Um, okay, so honestly, we both have, obviously, this film is hallmarked as a classic. Um, yeah, from 1967, our oldest film to date. Okay. Um, and as hallmarked as a classic, obviously, generally, there's a good chance we're going to enjoy this film. Mm. Uh, we both did. Um, <laughs> Spoiler I think alert. our letterbox score sat at four and four and a half. Yeah, so I think the average was four, which I gave it about. And yeah, I saw you gave it four and a half. I did. So I'm very excited to talk to you about this. Um, so honestly, given uh, sort of adding personal context to obviously every watch in a film that you mm. give, um, 
the way that I've been feeling towards the start of the year and particularly the latter parts of uh, 2019 okay. made this film very impactful and especially its first 20 minutes. Yeah, um, okay, okay. Let's see what you're getting Which uh, takes place at sort of uh, what well, starts off with Dustin Hoffman. Uh, He's at pl- an airport. Yeah, arriving. Uh, almost you can tell the dread of what's about to happen yeah, to him. Yeah, you can kind of get that feeling he's not there. Of course, it's your excuse for the opening logos as all the credits. Yes. That was a very Jackie Brown shot. Well, I, I picked up on literally, that. Literally, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, by saying it's a Jackie Brown shot, you're referring to Jackie Brown referencing this film. Exactly. Oh, there's, um, there's a ton that I've was got in here. Don't unash- worry. There was an, uh, that was an unashamable homage to yeah. The Graduate, without a doubt. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I got a whole stuff, list Tarantino. of stuff I picked up on from Tarantino's <laughs> later films as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but the first 20 minutes really resonated with me, particularly with a lot of people asking him what he's doing with his future, <laughs> and Hoffman's just overwhelmed by everyone asking him to do stuff, and he just doesn't... He's, he's mm. barely... Yeah, you know, he's constantly almost out of breath. Trying to well, you have avoid. Dustin Hoffman, who this is like his second screen credit. Yes, so this is essentially him shining in an opening mm. sort of role. And I remember there's a lot of if you go on Wikipedia, there's like a billion stories about casting this film. Yeah, and I one mean, of the he, ones about yeah with him was he was uh, an off Broadway uh, okay uh, personnel, I'm pretty sure. And yeah. so the casting came from he wasn't recommended or he didn't audition directly. It was... I think part of his world was like he was too short or he looked yes. too short on screen. And um, like, I remember it was him, him or like a producer saying something along the lines of like, oh, that would never happen, him and, and Mrs. Robinson. Mm. And there's a, there's a billion casting stories about that, which we'll talk about soon. But I think him, he plays this role so perfectly. Like yeah. the social nitwit. Yeah, basically. And perfect um, line delivery. He yeah, he does, <laughs> particularly that first act, I think, yeah, is yeah. where this film shines the best. Um, I think it's the bit I enjoy the most mm. is the first act. Because um, they just he's cast so well and his performance is exactly spot on for what it should be. Yeah. Um and I think the message in this film is is what has resonated so much and has made it a timeless film because the mm, meaning can be that, yeah. taken and reapplied over and over again. Um, I think we're, f- honestly, we're constantly, uh, as young adults, thrust into <laughs> expectation. Yeah, you give me uh, a big smile right now. <laughs> yeah, um, and thrust into what we do next and what's the plan and yeah. how do we get everything sorted and... Um, it was literally the perfect film for you to pitch. Yeah. As a, and obviously it's a joke. We're graduating. Let's watch The Graduate. Yeah. But you're right. It's literally the most timely possible scenario for us to watch a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And it was probably made for people like us. Yeah. Um, and sort of the uncomfortable and anxiety and the the even though it feels like we're supposed to have all the control, we feel like we mm. have none of the control. Mm. I mean, uh, you take the early, early party scene where he's basically been pinballed around a room between yeah. people who are thrusting him <laughs> into job opportunities or asking him what he's doing next or when he's getting married or when yeah. he's getting... when are you going to date that girl, you know? And then, I mean, that, that was a lot of the stuff that I picked up on is like, it's such a youth versus authority parental <laughs> sort of situation you have the parents who are very much like you need to date this person you need to go out with Elaine yeah, almost you know. feels like an arranged marriage yeah sort of essentially thing. yeah and I mean it is literally an arranged situation that yeah. he's been thrust upon 
I love that they give him that clean slate of, yes, he's a graduate at 20 years old or he has his 21st birthday in this film, but he also was like, I think, something to do with track. Like yes, he was a he track was a, star. He was a track star. So that kind of gives him a, a, an athlete. He, yeah, an athlete, but it gives him even more of that blank slate mm-hmm. uh, to work with. So it kind of motivates his decisions, but it also, when people are on his ass, like, oh, I'm going to give you one word plastics. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that, or even just like those confronting shots when and, he's looking up at the pool, they're silhouetted. Mm-hmm. Telling him what to do, this or that. It's just, it's perfect. Yeah, and he constantly feels like a character that throughout the, uh, just as well in the, the party scene, mm. he feels like he's just pinballed through life. And he slowly becomes more and more unhinged with his actions and more irrational with his actions, mm. almost as if the, like, the anxiety is starting to build up and become more and more uncomfortable for him and the audience as we watch on. And watch this character... Slowly lose his mind due to just circumstance, in a way, yeah, and get yeah. told that he can't do this or he can't do that, so he and he has to do, do this and he has to do that, mm. and that leads to him, yeah, snapping and eventually rebelling. Even though sometimes what people recommend is actually for the bet, like his own betterment too. So it also works into his downfall too. Yeah. No, so, it's it's a great. You're right. The pinball match of yeah. sort of him being pinballed at, at that party, especially, mm. but also in the wider narrative between his two parents and, of course, the Robinsons mm. themselves. I mean, it comes back to things like his resentment to get to know uh, Elaine. Yeah. Um, even though, actually, ironically, even though through all of the forceful nature of the parents trying to get him to go on a date with Elaine, he actually relates to her more than more so than he thought. But mm. Still, due to his actions <laughs> earlier in the film, is left in this sort of impossible situation. Yeah, where, where he kind of digs himself the hole, and then the rest of the film, he sort of has to dig himself out of that hole yeah. in a way. Does he really ever really dig himself out of that hole, I feel? I guess so. I think the only thing I could kind of critique about this film, and I think it's a product of its age in this regard, is mm-hmm. the actual relationship between him and Elaine. Well, I think there's a lot of films nowadays that focus on the subtleties of... And I was even talking about Portrait of a Lady in Fire. It's one of my favourite films. is my favourite film of 2019 because it's a slow burn in establishing mm-hmm. a relationship. And I yeah. feel like this film, as much as I love it, I think it glosses over that a little bit. I think it does rush it in bits. Particularly, mm-hmm. I think the films... The, one of the withdrawals I have from this film is definitely um, towards its ending... Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it loses a little steam towards that. Not necessarily the last twenty minutes, but the the tipping point between the second and the third act. Okay. That, that that block is particularly quite not messy, but a little incoherent. You is know, this... we get introduced to a character that Elaine is supposed to marry, but right. we sort of. So you're talking about the period of the film in the university. Yes. Okay. okay. Where there's a lot of like, you don't really know why characters are sort of making decisions, but then it's also playing into their irrationalities. Well, that's that's exactly what I took away from it, is you can kind of... You're right, justify it because they're blank slates yeah. and they're kind of being boxed around by these parental figures. To the point figures. where they feel like they have to conform to the, the sort of expectations. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. That's kind of the, the explanation you can give. I don't mm-hmm. know if I fully buy it, but that's also a product of its time. I mean... Yeah. I mean, it comes back to the exchange that Hoffman has with his parents um, in the film where basically he's like, oh, I'm going to marry Elaine. And then they're 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 both like, oh, they're really happy. But then they're like, oh, but I haven't asked her yet. (laughs) And what does she know? No. In fact, she doesn't really like me, walks away. (laughs) 
<laughs> See, that was great because that was very character based. Yeah, they're very it, him is like the social newer. They really establish it, and like some again, his line delivery when the initial seduction. When he's like sneaking, you're like, oh boy, as he's like trying to talk. Like, that stuff is so perfect. It's yeah. so funny. That's um, great. Uh, I think some of the things I really like in this film that uh, still are timeless is its mm. cinematography, is, okay. is, I think, pretty cool. Like, uh, particularly just shot ideas. Like you okay, said, silhouette so more shots. more like the direction that they're doing. Yeah, 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 like how the shots have been directed. The When he jumps in the pool with oh, the goggles on. I mean, Mrs. Robinson's leg with him oh, peering that's through. Perfect. That's our thumbnail uh, photo, by the way. Oh, nice. I'm still going to send it to you, actually. Really good shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just really enjoy those shots, I think. They're, they're really it well-meaning, is... clever shots. And then the camera always chooses to hold at the exact right moments to get yeah, the right yeah, reaction. Yeah, it's quite... For a short film, short as in, like, you know, sub-100 minutes, mm-hmm. there is a lot of long takes in this film. Yeah, um, particularly, like, the scene where um, midway through... Uh, when he's asking to get to know her, her in bed. Yep. Yeah, and I love the way... That scene especially, I don't want to get in the highlight scenes too much, but... What I love about that scene especially is that you have the long take, so you kind of mm. get the full pacing of it. You get the light. Well, it feels like there's no filter in the conversation. Exactly, yeah. Mm. You get the light switching on and off, mm-hmm. and you get, the, you, know, you get the shutters and the moonlight through that. That's your only visual, and that turns on and off based on where the conversation's mm-hmm. going. It kind of dictates the pace. When they cut in, when the light turns on, they cut even, even closer. Mm-hmm. That's a clever cut. But even the way they dress, like, the more vulnerable they are, they're actually uh, less dressed in those scenarios. Yes. And I noticed that he puts on more clothes when he gets more comfortable and the kind of back-and-forth boxing match mm-hmm. of that. So you're right, really clever direction. And in fact, to this day, I think it's the only, the most recent Oscar film to win Best Director but not win any of the other big five categories that it was nominated in. That is strangely relevant <laughs> time to do this film. <laughs> Um, but uh, I just read that. I was like, wow, to this day, it's still the most recent one to do that. That's so, crazy. Best director. Look at that. Although it did, I think it won the Golden Globe for best musical or comedy of that year. So, okay. That makes sense. Would you hallmark this film as a comedy? Yes, I would. Yeah. I would. It's hilarious. It does have some really... F- I think you made a really good comparison to, I think it was Muriel's Wedding. Did I? Was, it, was that a draw you made with this film? Was um, it this film? No, I don't think so. I I kind of compared it to... I haven't vocalized this yet. I compared it to Eyes Wide Shut Okay. in the examination of the power that men and women sort of have, and especially in this Mm -hmm. case where the woman has a lot of the power in this this scenario. You never feel like he's in control. No. Um, At least not in the first, like, half, I would say. No. And the only time he ever seems to take action, he often gets punished Mm. quite easily. Yeah. whether it's like often it's it it whenever it feels like he's taking action, it definitely feels like society is always overpowering him society. no matter what. Society, which <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I think that's a, I think that's a valid takeaway, particularly yeah. in like the latter parts of the film, where every time he feels like he rebels or he's trying to defend himself, a circumstance happens that leads to a, a form of society. Whether it be uh, he's in his apartment in Brooklyn. Uh, where uh, he's talking to Elaine and explaining because he's been accused of raping. Yeah, and he's trying to defend him. Where, where she happened. screams, and then he has to spend the next five minutes yeah. talking about talking to other guy. That's 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 my favorite line in the film. All the, his delivery is when he they're like, "Oi, what are you doing? What are you doing?" And he opens it a little wire, and he's like, "Here, here's her having a drink of water," <laughs> <laughs> and then quickly closes it back <laughs> yeah. up. His delivery of that line is 
perfect. Yeah. But I got to say, with that scream and several mm-hmm. of Elaine's screams, mm-hmm. the sound mixers must have hated themselves. Oh, yeah. Because I had the speakers on in the middle of the day when I watched this movie, and she screams very loudly. It's a gut-wrenching scream. Like, it's a horror scream. Yeah. Like, I can literally... I can understand why people would walk in and be like, are you raping this person right now? Yeah. Like... Kudos, but also, but ow, then it, my ears. It's kind of a good thing to have that, though, because then it makes the justification of all the uh, the, the other gentlemen outside yeah, the apartment. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's a murder scream. It's a horrible scream, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean... <laughs> it's for the soundies that hated each other. I, it's a real interesting <laughs> one, because it's almost like he doesn't... Hoffman never feels like the protagonist of the film, because he's never... Okay. Um... He's one of those people that sort of because he like he is a social like I feel like he is a social you called him a social uh, nitwit. nitwit yes he's an idiot <laughs> and most of the time yeah, particularly in the latter parts of the film he yeah. doesn't feel like I mean he's essentially stopping a wedding out of this sort of almost feels like a self like self proclaimed love that we I don't yeah, think yeah. we as the audience are even sold on it and it just as that's well, what I mean is the, I don't know how how sold I'm on his authentic love for but her. that sort of makes the effectiveness of the last shot make sense mm, like the awkward uh, silence they have in the it's it I yeah. mean it's perfect balance because we as the audience aren't sold on the romance and neither of the characters feel like they're really sold on the romance I mean mm. she's contemplating getting married to him while another person has proposed to her. Well, it's fascinating because I believe they have already kissed. They've yeah. already had the you make kiss the bride moment. Yeah. After, but after, or rather before he like knocks on the window yeah. and stuff. So you're right. It's, it's a nice little twist on the usual stopping the wedding. The, the, uh, is there any objections for filming? Yeah, objection? exactly. I object. Yeah. Shrek. But then uh, even <laughs> no, but then, right. she's yeah. planning on getting married to him Prior to even the wedding sequence, yeah. well, like the the blonde bloke, I can't remember his name, is... Um, guy. Guy. <laughs> uh, he, they really don't give him that much screen time. They give yeah, him one... I guess he's, yeah, he's kind of like the faceless... He's, yeah. Well, there's another uh, film I'm thinking of where, like, they purposely cover someone's face because they're not important to the plot, or... Mm. I don't know what I'm but, thinking um, of. Yeah, like, so, you know, and she's, in the meantime, like, while this is all happening, she's still even thinking about marrying Dustin Hoffman. She's still kissing him. Yeah. And they're talking about getting their blood tested and stuff like that. Like, he's he's going to the jewellery store and getting, like, preparing to get a ring. Yeah, yeah. You know, so she's really, like, playing both sides of the fence on that one. I Um, think... Because it sort of comes back to want yeah. and need, yeah. I think it's this film. I could be wrong, because mm-hmm. we have watched like 140 films in the last couple of months, so... It's easy to get a little... A little mixed up in the bag. Yes. I believe this is the film where I read that she was... They didn't have the ending written mm-hmm. yet. They didn't know how this film was going to end during shooting. And she, uh, I think she asked the director, and I'm actually blanking on the director's name right Tom now. Tom Nichols, I think it is. Tom Nichols? You might be right on that one. It is directed by Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Being you go. I got the surname right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good enough. If yeah. he just said Nichols, he would have been good. Yes. <laughs> but I believe when she asked Nichols, who do I show more affection, mm-hmm. he told her to just give him equal because they didn't know how it was going to end yet. That's interesting. That's very interesting, isn't it? Especially given the ending being one of the most memorable parts of the film. When I, I watched this with my friend Mel, because I remember months ago she said, we have to watch this film together because she adores this film, uh, probably for all sort of the, the sexual comedy of it all, mm-hmm. which is really fun. But 
she told me with the ending that they basically just left it rolling beyond when they were meant to, that shot on the bus. So that's kind of a more authentic reaction they got because they were meant to cut earlier but didn't. It's almost like they, so. they don't know when the cut's going to be called. Exactly. So it's kind of, that's where you get those facial reactions. And but that's, I mean, that's comes, great direction. I mean, that, again. that does come back to, um, you know, when we t- when we think mm-hmm. the cut point is we're supposed to call cut, we hold for an extra oh, couple of seconds. Get that because, extra movie magic. Because you never know, a, a real actor will keep going until you say stop. They mm-hmm. won't ask you when to cut. because <laughs> they st- like, oh, Excuse me. Are we are we cutting? <laughs> yeah, that's the difference. That's one thing we're uh, taught. What the difference between an amateur and a professional? Because if you hold hold it for longer, you can get some amazing authentic stuff. reactions. Yeah, and no, that's absolutely true. And even like the same logic when you're doing like an interview for a for a documentary, mm-hmm. like give them as much time as you can to react to what they're saying before you ask another question. Yeah, don't cut in. Never yeah, cut in. Never cut in. You're right because you get some off great reaction shots. So I'd love to talk a bit about Mrs. Robinson in particular, because mm-hmm. she's obviously become sort of that name, especially like oh, yeah. so synonymous. I mean, you're trying to seduce me. That's such a famous line. Yes. Um, there were a lot of people who were up for the role for one way or another. Mm-hmm. Again, if you go on the Wikipedia page, there's like literally like 30 uh, women who were up for the role. I wrote down a few notable ones. The original was, I think it was Jean Maru, who was a French actress. And I think okay. they just wanted a French, because mm-hmm. I guess it all kind of ties. Because of the love, sort of yeah, romance. it ties in. And I can't remember why she didn't end up doing it. I guess they just didn't get her. Uh, but they also offered it to Doris Day, who mm-hmm. was didn't want to have any nudity involved. And that's actually a really clever thing we should talk about, is like the very subtle nudity in this film. Mm. Are you blanking on it? I think I am. When the first time he's been seduced, she walks in the room naked and you get that Back to the Future shot over her shoulder, him like, oh, and it quick cuts, yeah, quick and cuts with titty and de- or this or that. It does yeah. like it's sort of like the panic because he's not really yeah. getting a look at the little glances that it cuts. Yeah. So, that's a great idea, great direction. Yeah, it's all really well directed film. I'm thinking there's like a more clear. I think that's it. No, that's yeah, I think that's the not. only nudity in the film. I think clever. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah, Doris Day was not a fan of that. It also almost went to Joan Crawford. Audrey Hepburn, Julie Garland, which is funny because we just talked about Judy mm-hmm. earlier, and Ava Gardner as well, who was very keen on it, I think. But it ended up going to Anna Bancroft. So It's interesting because, yeah. yeah, it's such a subtle nudity scene. And also mm. nudity was probably a little bit more lenient and comfortable I think so too, back yeah. in the 60s. Well, nudity the was very much, we sell sex on screen. Yeah. And you can't get away with it as much this time. Yeah, People that's true. People aware about it, but... Yeah, I think her character was just so... Um, I mean, first off, it is great casting, even though we just went through all It's great writing. Names. I think that scene, yeah, okay. uh, one of its biggest strengths, that opening sort of seduction scene, is its writing and its pacing. Mm. It almost has that sort of the mixture of like, like if you want to take a more contemporary example, sort of things like Marriage Story, where like the okay, dialogue yeah. feels, it has a flow Flows, and, yeah. and uh, a chemistry and... Uh, sort of that fluidity to it. It mm. always feels like that everyone is saying things at the right time. I know Greta Gerwig did it really well also in Little Women, how all of the yeah, dialogue Yeah, the just... blocking and the dialogue really well done. Yes. Yeah. And um, I think this film has the same sort of thing, particularly with that opening sequence where mm. he's constantly moving. He's jittery. <laughs> he's every time. He's so uncomfortable way. when she's like, nope, come back. He's like a boomerang. He bounces over the room <laughs> and he just comes straight back. Yeah. I always love films with like 
dialogue that's full of niceties Mm -hmm. when half the dialogue of a scene is like, oh, how are you? Yes, I'm great. You know, just that kind of flatline because it means there's always something underlining in that. And I think this film plays with that concept clever where it's, Mm. it's not niceties per se, but it's a lot... Or back and forth, like on Chandra's and this, and like going over here, well over here, and then coming this way. What almost, but it's also like and the way he's conditioned to be too. Exactly, as a person. exactly. Yeah. He always addresses her as Mrs. Robinson. Exactly, which I took away as a uh, Mr. White in the Breaking Bad sort yes. of thing. They always refer this the the sense of the authoritarian. Yes, that this is this is my master in a way. You know, it's like they they share a bed together, but it's it's very but much her bed. Yeah. And it's very much Mrs. Robinson, not... I don't even know her first name. I don't think you ever learned it. I think it's even credited as Mrs. Robinson Is in it? the credits. It might be, yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Robinson. It might mm-hmm. be, because you obviously know Elaine's name. Yes. That's really clever. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I could probably... You know what? I don't think I could check on my phone for letterboxes. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. And Mr. Robinson. There you go. Perfect. That's so clever. Yes. That is so clever. Um. Oh, man. I love the direction. But... No worries. You yeah. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, just a few sort of notable things I'll throw in there. Another one, and again, touching on the authoritarian sort of misunderstanding of the youth was like, it goes back to the repeating stuff of like the pouring the scotch. Be like, oh, mm-hmm. scotch still your drink? No, it's bourbon, but proceeds to pour scotch. Mm-hmm. And then a second time, oh, is it still your drink? So just stuff like that. I want to talk about the music a bit because the music's actually it's quite all Simon and Garfunkel, That's correct? That's the one. But. If it's interesting, because you think about it, it's all sourced music or this very specific man that does it. Mm. This is 1967. This is yeah. two years before Easy Rider. Yes. And Easy Rider's the big one for, like, sourced music or paying for a soundtrack. That's true. That's true, I guess, because Simon and Garfunkel, I mean, that's that's sort of around the time that they were quite big. I'm not super familiar imagine, with their, yeah. career, like their career stuff. Um my big, I love uh, their song Bleecker Street, which is not in this film, but that's like the song that I've taken from the 60s. I like the and... boxer. That's ah, there you go. My, one of my favorite Mrs. songs. Mrs. Robinson. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah. If not a bit repetitive. Repetitive. That's it's my a, thing. Yeah. I think that, because there's only three songs, I yeah. think. And, and they usually reuse... when he's driving back and forth, they play the same one over and over again, which I kind of get, but it is very repetitive. I guess, yeah. I mean, there's the argument that uh, it's sort of the routine mm. thing, but... I, or maybe lay motif, you could argue it could feel yeah, like that. Yeah, I guess. But like, it gives a different feeling to each drive that he takes. Like, yes. It, a different mission for this. Uh, but yeah, but yeah. I think that's us trying to read and justify it. I think I agree. I think in the latter parts of the film, I was getting... A, when I heard... I think Miss, Mrs. Robinson only gets played right. once. Yeah, that's a bit rarer. Because that's which, the one I was waiting for. Which waiting is the for. one when I heard it, I was like, oh, thank God we're freshening up from the yeah. other two songs. <laughs> Sound of Silence and the other one. Yeah, and then they bring it back right at the end as well. Yeah. But no, I thought that was that was quite funny. I, w- I just wanted to bring them up because I thought it was interesting in terms of musical touchstones in movies. Mm-hmm. This is actually kind of one that I don't hear get talked about too much, but it is in there. Um, I want to talk... I mean, I've talked a bit about the editing already, how mm-hmm. genius some of the editing is with the long shots in the room and the little brief flashes of nudity and stuff. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just going for my notes right That's now. Okay. We've already talked about sort of the relationship between him and Elaine and sort of how authentic that is. I think it's just a product of its time. I'm watching this movie knowing their intention is for me to believe Benjamin loves Elaine. Mm-hmm. But just some of the structural stuff in here makes it a little, oh, that's weird that she would make this decision or he would make that decision. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things like, 
when he takes Elaine on the first date to like a strip club, mm. um, and then it leads to her running out crying. He gets like really bummed out by that, but at the same time, he was obnoxious in the previous scene, and I know yeah. he's being deliberately obnoxious because it's like you know, from the, everything from wearing the sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. To, oh, it's so funny. Um, he's like, look, but he somehow he remedies drive. that situation <laughs> by kissing her while she's crying. So it's yeah, which is like that's a jump forward, but. Again, like, even just that little exchange is like, that's not enough for me to convince me that she's convinced. Yeah. Even though I know the kiss is kind of the push I mean, I feel like their romance is solely birthed out of the need to escape the structures of both their lives. I both are told that they were were forced together at first, Mm. which was the adversary, whereas he can... But he also then, I think, over time sees her as a means to escape too from that life. Because if he gets married to her, then he satisfies all of all of them. But at the same time, he can also move away from a lot of that right. part of his life too. I I get that, and it's like it's like we said earlier. With you can justify a lot of these things mm-hmm. because, <clears throat> excuse me, he is the graduate. Yes, he doesn't know what his future entails. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have a direction. So, um, but like I said, that's really the only thing I could sort of nitpick from this film now. Before we jump into highlights, since I love to talk about the intertextuality things I've noticed, all okay. the little, you know, Jackie Brown nods and stuff like mm. that. So you tell me if you've noticed any of these. I'll start off with the obvious Simpsons ones, uh, which, I, I mean, you mm. haven't really watched Simpsons, no. have you? No. Uh, well, the obvious one is that in the, I think it was a season two or three episode of The Simpsons, Dustin Hoffman does a cameo, and or not even cameo, he's a full-on guest for the episode. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was a hidden guest. Like, he wasn't credited or anything like that. It was like a secret, mm-hmm. oh, that's Dustin Hoffman's voice, but he's not Yeah, did it in secret sort of thing. And he plays Mr. Bernstrom, which is Lisa's substitute, and it kind of has the same shot with Edna Krabappel's leg when she's trying to seduce him, right. but he won't fall for it. He's very much like a matured adult in this <laughs> scenario. Um, but I just thought that was a brilliant casting. And there's also an episode where Grandpa replicates the wedding interruption where I he see. knocks on the window and he falls down and... No, I can't say I noticed any other than the Jackie Brown one. And I think the only reason I noticed the Jackie Brown one is because that was one of the films I've watched this year. Yeah, you watched it very recently. So So, uh, I noticed that shot, but couldn't think of many off the top of my uh, head. So there's another uh, Tarantino film he did a little later that this has some ripped off a bit of this. Which movie do you think it was? I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has that back car stuff. You can you hit the nail on the head. There we go. Not only does it replicate the exact same shot, mm-hmm. bringing the camera right when Margot Robbie's been driven around stuff, yes. but it also has the same music. It plays a little tiny bit, about 17 seconds of Mrs. Robinson, when Brad Pitt first sees Pussycat walking across the street. And it plays a little bit of that tune. The do, 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 there do, you go. Do. I was like, that's so cool. I love that. Go me. And Scorsese. And you, you just a minute ago, you were talking about a scene that very much entails a Scorsese film involving a strip club date. Oh. Does it take you back to any particular 70s Scorsese film? No. Well, I, I thought it was it was comparable to Le, uh, Ray Liotta's date in Goodfellas that he's trying yeah, to that's the one ruin. Was... But in Taxi Driver, it reminded me of him taking the girl to the porno film. Oh, okay. That's but fair. except in that version, he obviously didn't do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. But um, I know that those are just like all the little sort of things. You're just I, jumping at them. You're ready to go. With I them. just I noticed so much, you know. And yeah. It's because I watched so much because I have no life. 
<laughs> no worries, you want to move into highlight scenes? Let's do it. What was your highlight scene, Zeke? Uh, I actually think it would be the light turn-off scene nice. uh, between Mrs. Robinson um, and uh, what's the main character's name again? Benjamin. Benjamin. Um, Can I get yeah. to know you, Mrs. Robinson? Yes, that scene is really good. I think you've nailed it on the head with the vulnerability. Uh, the clothes, I, like, the light turning off and on. The fluidity of the scene with like the... I also noticed, which are, yeah, like with how um characters move in and around the scene. It's very choreographed. Yeah, once they get out of bed really well. and interchange and he's about to leave, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And there's an authentic sort of niceness to it when he's like, I don't want you to leave. I, I, w- I want you to stay here. I wouldn't see you every night if I didn't actually like you. Like, yeah, exactly. There was a nice authentic thing to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, probably um, my highlight scene in the film. Nice. Um, I, with, I like... Hmm? With the, obviously, the last shot of the film. Right, gotcha. Last yep. shot. It's very, very awesome shot. Yeah. I think my highlight scenes, I actually did mention that scene specifically as like kind of give it a shout out. Mm. And of course, the silhouette shot from the pool looking up was oh, really yeah. cool. By the overlords. Um, yeah, exactly. Which I thought was really clever. And even earlier in the pool when he's in the diving suit, mm-hmm. and like that's a really awkward scene, Justin. I love the camera work there. My highlight scenes have to just be the pure, hilarious awkwardness of the, the two seduction scenes. The initial one... And then the one when he's at the hotel. Where he's going to go keep, get a toothbrush. Yeah, and he keeps talking to the guy. And... phone calling because he thinks the bellhop guy's suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's like, he almost walks into like, this private club or show. Mm. And he has like a full-on conversation with the door people before being like, oh, no, I'm not actually in this turns around. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff was so funny, man. I was, was losing good. it laughing. But um, nah, that's The Graduate. Oh. You, there's actually um, a stage adaption. I didn't know that. I could actually see this being a stage adaption mm. quite easily. Because a lot of, not a lot of locations, a lot of long dialogue three, scenes. three, four locations. Yeah. So. But um, apparently that's like as close as they got to a sequel. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to read the Charles Webb book before we did the show, but I ran out of time. That's fair. It's a not it's not a long novel. So, so uh, The Graduate is out in wide release. Yeah, DVD uh, and Blu-ray should be too hard to find. Yeah, can't find it. I couldn't find it on any streaming services. I think it uh, used to be on Netflix, sucks. but it's no longer on Netflix. Did you check Stan? Uh, I have not checked Stan. I might give Stan, because it feels like a Stan kind of movie. I had my friend Mel lend me a DVD okay. of it, and I want to get on the second disc, because apparently there's a lot of like nice little features and stuff. Uh, the Graduate is not on Stan, unfortunately. There we go. No worries. Well, moving on to uh, mm. what is new in cinemas this week. Oh, Jake. here we go. Can I just say the last six weeks I was bang on? Yeah. Like, we gave our disclaimers. It might change, but I was pretty bang on. I was keeping track, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. One that I wasn't so on track was The Lighthouse, which is out now at Luna. You can watch it. It screenings every day, so you can watch it that's however good. you please. It's quite good. But movies that actually do come out this week. And Zeke, this is actually a really fucking insane week. Yes. Richard Jewell comes out, the new Clint Eastwood film, which is up for Kathy Bates' supporting actress at the Oscars. So we'll see if she won. Spoiler alert, she didn't. (laughs) I I can tell you right now she didn't. Um, It's about the 1996 Summer Olympics bombing. Yes. And uh, I like the look of the trailer. I know you weren't a big fan of The Mule, which was his last film. No, but at least he's not in this one, I don't think. Oh, okay. I, I forgot he was in The Mule. Yes, he's the main character in The oh, Mule. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, I think Clint Eastwood is a fine director. I've, mm. I've enjoyed some of his films. Some of them have been a bit generic. I didn't really care for Sully either. Um, oh, I didn't mind Sully. It was it was fine. Yeah, it? no, probably, I, I got gotcha. Tom Hanks is a fine nowadays. With a few... two, fa- two faces in it. 
Yeah, yeah. Aaron Eckhart's always yeah, pretty I cool. Yeah, I was like seeing him. No, yeah. I get you. I get you with the Clint Eastwood. So I think Grant best Reno's film I've seen Aaron film. Eckhart in was Thank You for Smoking. Oh, okay. That's probably. I've never even heard of that. It's a really good film. Nice. Talked about it very film. early on in the podcast. The problem with Richard Jewell is like I'm keen to see it, mm-hmm. and I would have been much more inclined to see it in preparation for the Oscars, but. I know it's not going to win its one nomination. So when it actually comes out, I'm going to be way less inclined to actually watch it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's sort of, I mean, it could be one of those, it could be a snubbed film. I mean, I don't hear yeah. anyone who's talked about it being a snubbed film, but. <laughs> it's not, well, it's because it's got the one. Yeah. In the way that people don't talk about The Lighthouse as a snub film, because it got the one. It got one nomination, whoop de doo yeah. So I don't, that might be the case. Uh, Fantasy Island, which is, I guess, a movie version of the show. It's a Blumhouse one. Oh, so it's like a horror then. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I might. Actually, I think I think my mother has uh, done like a little competition thing, so I might end up seeing it for free. There you go. That's how I saw um so La Llorona. Nothing. It looks like a nothing sort of horror. I think I saw the first thirty seconds of a trailer. Yeah. And I just know that. Yeah. Um, Emma, which is a drama comedy following the antics of a young woman, Emma Woodhouse. He lives in 19th century England. I say 19th century because the novel it's based on was 1815. Mm-hmm. And occup- this is the logline. It occupies herself with matchmaking in sometimes misguided, often meddlesome fashion in the lives of her friends and family, and it drops on Valentine's Day. I saw the trailer. This looks awkward. Like, like awkwardly bad? Yeah, like just the, the chemistry and like the weird, janky pauses between the dialogue and the mm-hmm. jokes. and the, I don't know. I'm in, I'm into the period Valen- pieces. Valentine's love- Day normally doesn't yield a lot of yeah. good films. It it's the Oscar hangover season. <laughs> it is. I mean, literally when I hunt over the next day. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It'll be. It'll. I'm also thinking uh, that Lakeith Stanfield films also coming out too. The Photograph. Okay, I haven't um, I haven't heard of that one. That's a new one with him. Uh, do not care for it that much because, unfortunately, it's a Valentine's Day film, so you know what it's going uh, to be. Oh, yeah. Um, Jack was talking about this for Yeah, me. yeah. He's saying did... he, like, openly trashed it in an interview or something like that. Yeah, because it's like he's been in so many really good films in the last <laughs> couple of years to see him in this sort of soulless yeah. money grab. Oh, take your date to this Valentine's yeah. Day film. Because they do one every year. Yeah, no, they they're, do. For they're... the last few years, it's been the Fifty Shades movies. But now that they're oh, done with man. those, they're, yeah, they're new. got to move on to this Man, one. he has really had a good career. He has. Uncut Gems, sorry to bother you. Jeez, Knives Out. Wow. Knives Out. Um, So that does not look good. And hey, I love Portrait. I love uh, The Favourite. Mm-hmm. But this does not look good. There's a difference between a period piece is good, period piece is not. H is for Happiness, which is an Australian film about a 12-year-old girl. And it's all about boundless optimism and meeting strange new boys at school and mending broken families and the poster looks like a straight-to-DVD. We'll see. We'll see. It's an Australian film, so probably. <laughs> and Narcos uh, Mexico Season 2 is out on Netflix. Nice. And I mentioned it earlier, but Parasite black and white version, you can catch it on Luna either today, as in the 10th of February at 6.30, or uh, I think two weeks from now, there's the outdoor versions of it. And I can say the black and white version is pretty cool. It's better. I wouldn't say it's better because I think the color is really gorgeous in Parasite, mm-hmm. but it does make certain. It does create a new mood. It okay. it feels less funny and more creepy in areas. Okay. Not that the original film doesn't already perfect that. Um, but yeah. Oh, and of course, Sonic the Hedgehog. How did I miss that? Yeah, I got here eventually. It's out this week. Yeah, I'll probably get pretty positive rap now. After all, yeah, this. after all the the redesigns and everything. He looks like Sonic now, at least. That's Trying true. Trying to understand why they took two attempts, but, you know. <laughs> you it's know, not I, like there wasn't a lot of source material. I, 
There was a lot of different variations, you're right. It's like, it'd be like making Pikachu look bad from Detective Pikachu. It's like... That's true. That is actually so it's true. It's the same thing. It's like yeah. you have so much source material, it's not hard to copy-paste and put a bit of fur on it. <laughs> you know? They got there in the end, it's I guess. It's just unbelievable that someone thought that that was okay. And people would not... Be the upset people that, about it. The people that are going to watch a movie like that are the people that grew up and loved Sonic or yeah. kids. Now, yeah. you might get past it with the kids, yeah. but you're not going to get past it with the loud, inter- the internet people. <laughs> no, no, no. No, sir, you're not. You're not going to get away with that. You can, you can just tell that that movie was made by a boardroom of 55-year-olds who don't really know how to use their phones. Yeah. Well, they figured it out when they redesigned how to use the phones, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I honestly don't know if I'm going to watch this. I mean, Jim Carrey's in it. <laughs> Probably be fine. Yeah, it would be very serviceable, I guess. No worries, but none of those films are the one we're watching (laughs) next week. It's a famous quote now. But, Jake, what are we watching next week? So, we've talked about it a lot today. Yes. Next week, we're watching Parasite. Greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. This film was directed by Bong Joon-ho and, uh, well, has been widely acclaimed by a lot of people that watch film. Including yours truly. Uh, well, you don't think this is the best film of last year. I think it's the second best film in a really, really good year of film. I'm going to say Retconned that. Retconned it. <laughs> no, this film is, I mean, it was my number one literally until the 31st of December. Yeah, so, with Portrait of the Lady of Fire. Yeah, exactly. Um, this film is... F- I, I talked a bit about it on episode 45. It's when I first watched it in November. But I was intentionally vague at the time because you see you haven't seen it. I want you to go in as blind as possible. Yeah, I honestly haven't seen anything from this film uh, apart from a lot of people being like, look, I watched a foreign film and it's the best film I've ever seen this year. <laughs> um, and I'm not disputing it probably might potentially be the best film of 2019. However... I, I'm mm. well aware of a lot of the people that have that opinion are also people that don't watch a lot of foreign language right, films. Right, gotcha. And this one, admittedly, has had some really good marketing behind it to be nominated in as many categories as it has Absolutely. been nominated. Obviously suggests a lot. Well, um, even its Australian distribution by Madman, it's been at Luna for like seven, eight months. It's mm. still running. They put out a black and white version and idiots like me went to watch it. Yeah. Like, so, they're doing a good job. <laughs> um, I think uh, it's got a lot to compete with. I'm going to stand with Pain and Glory being my film of probably 2019. Wow, okay. Um, with probably a close marriage story um, would be the, the two I'd pick. I like it. I like um, it. So, just reading off my list here. Um, so yeah, it's got a tough competition because I think mm. not enough people saw, uh, Pain and Glory, seeing as I think you're the only person I know who's watched it. Fair um, enough. So. Actually, I think, I think my mate Steven's seen it. Okay. I think. But you're right. It's definitely not talked about as in the and same vein as Portrait of Lady on Fire. Neither like, is Portrait. I've heard of the film. I haven't watched it. I probably will get to watch it by next week. I think Parasite's definitely a more fun, engaging, very slick film. Mm-hmm. While Portrait, I think, was one of those things where, um, I don't want to say it's situational, but I appreciated it because it's so, there's so little they're doing in certain mm. filmmaking aspects that it's so impressive that it still works. I think Parasite, I rewatched it several times. I'm like, the script is, I'm not reviewing it yet. I shouldn't review it yet. But mm-hmm. my point is that I, this film really does deserve a lot of the hype that it's getting. Okay. Okay. So, 
it's I'm I'm more complaining about the community rather than <laughs> rather than the film itself. No, I know I know the kinds of people you're talking about. Don't worry. No um, worries. Well, yeah. thank you for joining us on the Cinema Side Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Parasite. We're back, baby.